0: Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co-hosts and guests, and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show. Well, when- Hello Detroit in the world, welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Audio Wave Network studios and sponsored by the Fort Foundation, now a content partner to Bridgedetroit.com. I'm Donna Givens-Davidson. Thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. We drop a new episode every week, so be sure to turn on those notifications. Orlando is out of town this week on an exciting learning trip with colleagues and friends to better understand Black life in the diaspora. I cannot wait for an upcoming episode where we will learn more about their findings and their vision for our community. But joining us today is City Councilwoman-elect Letitia Johnson, who will be sworn in tomorrow to fill the vacant um, D4 council seat. Letitia is no stranger to Authentically Detroit or to the Eastside Community Network, the LEAP Coalition, or the broader Eastside community. A graduate of the esteemed Draw School of Business at University of Michigan, Letitia has committed her time and resources to serve as a self-described community advocate, developer, partner, and friend to Eastside residents and grassroots organizations. Letitia, welcome back to Authentically Detroit.
1: Hello, and thank you so
0: much for having me. Yeah, so we're really, really glad. I'm so happy to have you here uh, because we really haven't talked since you were elected. I know you've been busy and I haven't wanted to bother you, um, but how was your holiday weekend? Um, Do you celebrate Thanksgiving or Indigenous Day of Mourning or do you just have good food and fellowship with friends and family?
1: You know, we did a little bit of both. My husband and I, although my son is in North Carolina, um, my husband and I went to the parade, haven't been to the Thanksgiving Day Parade in probably about 20 years. Um, but we took some time to go and enjoy the parade. It was a lot of fun. We actually stayed much longer than I anticipated considering we didn't have any little ones with us, but we enjoyed it that much in spite of the rain. Um, So we had a great time. And then thankfully we have people who absolutely love us, who prepared Thanksgiving dinner for us. Uh, And so it was was a great feast. It was a great time with friends and family. And uh, we just, we enjoyed it considerably.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah.
1: Well, Mm -hmm. we
0: um, actually had a very low key Thanksgiving. We spent um, our Thanksgiving day with Kevin's family and um, Thanksgiving the day after we had two celebrations and we call it Thanksgiving. But it's certainly not celebrating, you know, what we now understand to be genocide. Um, It's Mm -hmm. really celebrating what I always loved about um, Thanksgiving was spending time with my family and spending and, and eating good food both in equal measure. Right. And so we had great food with um, my um, sister-in-law cooked and we spent time with Kevin's mother who has recovered fully from COVID and is doing really great. And it's so great to see.
1: Um,
0: And then we visited a friend and then on the day after we visited my mother, my sister, but my mom was there and, you know, she's been really struggling with her health since October. Um, Mm -hmm. So to see her up and about, and joining us for Thanksgiving Day celebration, I don't think any of us knew if we'd be able to spend time with her. And, you know, wow. we're all back and boosted. So it was a, it was a good day. <laughs> awesome. That's great to hear. I'm glad to hear your mother's doing well. Yeah. You know, when when our um, when our seniors reach their 80s and my mother is in her late 80s, um, health becomes so fragile. You never know.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but she's a strong person. She pulled through and um, she just gets stronger every day. So I'm just, I'm really happy about that. But anyway, you're being sworn in tomorrow. Yes, it's actually happening. <laughs> How does that feel? You know, um,
1: everybody keeps asking me if I'm excited about it. I think uh, the, the world is, I feel like the world is on my shoulders and it's, it's becoming real i um, recognizing the work that has to go into everything so I'm excited I'm excited to really start to engage with the community and, and start to plan things out and really get things prepared for us to really hit the ground running in January because as you know uh, City Council is on recess uh, now so it just gives us an opportunity to to pull the team together make sure we have a good solid team of folks in place um, and, and that we can start doing some planning and engagement work for the month of December to connect with residents in the community. So it's, it's exciting. Um, it's, it's happening over Zoom, though. So it, it takes a little bit of <laughs> the excitement away, unfortunately. Um, but nonetheless, you know, we get to move forward and it becomes official now. So uh, everybody has right? been it, it is. And, you know, I'm actually I'm still waiting to get the uh, Zoom link uh, to be able to share it out so that people can join me. Um, but it is it is very exciting. A lot of friends and family are, are wanting to be there. And so I'm excited about having them there and making this official.
0: Yeah, it's just unreal. You know, um, right? we've been through so much in District 4 and then we went through a very somewhat contentious. I mean, uh, um, you know, uh, um, election. <laughs> I think mm-hmm, district mm-hmm. four was a little bit more contentious, even than some of the other districts. A lot of, um, things said about some of your supporters and implications and things, but I mean, I think people know you and it's kind of hard to damage the reputation of somebody who people know, wouldn't you say? That, you know, that's what I
1: tried to impress upon people. You know, I tried to stay out of the, uh, the negativity and all of the the conversations that were being had because you know everybody has an opinion and everybody is entitled to that opinion. Um, I think what I really wanted to uplift was the person that everybody has seen me to be. Um, mm-hmm. There There's no question about who I am you know I've been around long enough in the community doing the work and, and working amongst neighbors uh, and so it was just quite interesting to hear some of the things that started to be said. Um, I'm just glad that people throughout the entire district just realized that you know what people can say anything but knowing a person you can't take that away. You can't take away things that I had done regardless of what was being said And, and you know I tried to stay positive and made sure that we were always uplifting the work that had taken place in the community. So um, to have somebody try to come and undermine that, um, you know, I knew it was just a, a tactic to, to take away some of, some of my votes um, and maybe it worked, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't. It didn't. And so I'm glad people said, you know what, we're gonna go with what we know, not with
0: what's being said. There were a lot of great things things being said about you as well. You know, some of you were so excited and you know that, you know, I had an opportunity to go bike riding with you through a neighborhood and just see Mm -hmm. how people were responding to you. And so many people were responding really well and it really showed up. I actually looked at the results. I looked at precincts by precinct to see how you did. And you won all but four precincts out of about, I don't know, a hundred precincts. I can't remember how many, but the universe is pretty large. How many is it? There are right around 80, 79 80, precincts. 79, 80. You won out of about 80 precincts all before. Mm-hmm. And those precincts that you didn't win, you lost by a hair. So right. it's not like you won this neighborhood, you won this neighborhood. You really just won the district four. Yeah. And um, that was such a phenomenal turnout, such a phenomenal success to see people really responding to you in that way. And I know... Um, um, so I, and I, I would imagine you're getting some support also from beyond District Four
1: De- definitely um, you know let me let me speak to District Four residents first because uh, you know, I always talked about the numbers of people within the the district who reached out to me and asked for me to run, and um, it really showed how many people were interested in supporting the campaign because I've done work throughout the district, but some areas, people really didn't know who I was, uh, but there were people in the community who went before me to share with those individuals who I am and the work that I've done in the community. And so I'm extremely grateful to the residents throughout the district who really helped to spread the word, but you're absolutely correct. People on the West side, people all throughout the city were saying to me, folks are asking me who you are, Um, you know, they were just sharing great news. A lot of people said, you know, I've heard so many phenomenal things about you. I had people who have known me for years who said, every time I bring your name up, people get excited and they're looking forward to you being on council and it's always been positive. And so that within itself was extremely motivating. Uh, And and I don't take that lightly. Everybody who talked to me since I won the election, I share with them that this is all about the community. I recognize that that's the reason that I won and that there is a lot of work that the community wants to have done. And now it's time to just come together, figure out how we get it done and make sure that we start to move things in the direction that the community would like to see things go.
0: Yeah. So before we um start, move beyond the actual election process, I also want to point out that I did look at the fin- financial reports because one of the financial reports seemed to suggest that you were being primarily funded by these PACs. And so, um, you know, this is the freedom of information. We can all look it up, right? So I went and I saw $15 from this person, $25. You were supported by so many individuals and mm-hmm. the distorted message. In fact, Some of the people putting that out were supporting your opponent who seemed to get more support from outside Detroit than inside Detroit. And so, yes, it may have been individuals, but they were wealthier individuals who lived in the Gross Points or in other suburban communities. And in some instances out of state, I didn't see the same robust level of financial support. And looking at those people who committed that amount of money, even when it's small amounts, that's a commitment to your candidacy, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Um, So along with people from throughout the district spreading the word about me, they stepped up and donated to the campaign. And I can say easily 75% of the entities that donated were individuals from the district. That was overwhelmingly positive support for me. And I do not take that lightly. I really don't. I know there were uh, narratives that were put out Um, and you know, I did my best to make sure that people knew and understood that they could access this information and what was true.
0: Go go, I'm sorry.
1: If if you question, um, who I am going to be as a result of the contributions that I receive, then Uh you know that the people are going to help guide and, and dictate the work that I do in the community because they are the
0: ones who really funded the campaign. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was really pleased to see just these, the the level of support at the community mm-hmm. level. And I think it's super important that people understand there's nothing wrong with taking money from some of the bigger folks, some of those PACs, as long as that does not constitute most of your money. I mean, that's the way campaigns are run. You can't run a campaign right. without money. And if somebody wants to give you $10,000, who honestly would turn it away? You know, the reality is that not... That was not the focus of your fundraising. Sure.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And let's be realistic about it. Um, when we look at the numbers, I was outraised by twice as much. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it ultimately came down to who put in the work, who did the work, who reached the people right. and who resonated with the people. So, right. you know, there there's a portion of it that is about how many mailers you can do and things of that nature, but you really want to be able to connect with the people and, and um, being outraised twice as much and having records being set as it relates to district-wide uh, fundraising. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was a, there was a challenge, but it was really all about the people.
0: It really was. So I'm excited. So do you know who, you, who your staff is? Have you um, figured out who you're gonna hire? You know, this is the most entertaining
1: process of, of it all. Uh, you know, obviously, I want to make sure people are passionate about the community and serving the community as I am and have been. Um, and so, you know, we we have tight budgets. Uh, sometimes people look at those numbers and say, oh, no, you can hire all these folks. Um, but to, to hire the right talent um, and make sure that the commitment is there, you know, it, it does take a significant amount of money to bring on the right people and we're having a lot of interviews we're having a lot of conversations but this will be a difficult task so i'm thinking it may take pretty much the entire month of december before we get our staff in place i okay. do have my chief of staff who helped volunteer with the campaign um, to help get me across the finish line his name is gary gray oh, he I is gary. a Yes, that's right. He was on the bike ride with us. Um, Gary is a spry young man. Okay, <laughs> He's been around since, since the Coleman young days. Um, he's helped with a number of political campaigns and he is just phenomenal. He's absolutely amazing. And I'm just so glad that he agreed to come out of retirement to help me um, with my first term in office. So
0: that's really, I'm excited
1: about it. Oh
0: yeah. So, um, what else have you been doing to prepare for, um, for tomorrow? (laughs) And what will you be doing in December?
1: You know? So, so I have been connecting with a lot of the incoming council members, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting to know them. I was just running from a meeting with a council member, um, So, you know, just trying to get to know one another on an individual level to see who we are, and then, you know, having some conversations about what it is that we'd like to do when we get into office. Um, But for the month of December, it essentially will be hiring staff, um, taking a lot of meetings that people have been trying to get me to uh, take thus far. Uh, I wanted to, my, my whole commitment in November was to try to get some downtime in. That unfortunately hasn't happened yet, um, but making sure that I start to reconnect with the community and start to have listening sessions and know and understand what it is that the people are interested in doing and interested in seeing, creating task forces and you know identifying how we execute what, what we plan to do. So that will be essentially the month of December.
0: All right. All right. So we're excited to know that you are going to be doing that work and we hope to connect with you sometime in December um, with the LEAP Coalition and with our leadership team so that they can also, first of all, celebrate your election because I think people have been doing it um, all by themselves, but also um, connect with you about some priorities and figure out how the leadership that exists in our part of the world can fit into the leadership of these task forces and um, other things. So um, I was really excited. I got an email not too long ago, which um, was a letter that was sent by you and our Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and State Senator Stephanie Chang to um, the the Eagle Department at the state. Um, What is it environment, Great Lakes and energy Um, and yeah, you, you took a stand and it was so exciting to see our council person elect standing with our Congresswoman and our state Senator who have been such advocates of environmental justice in our community. Can you talk about that? Sure, sure. Um, so, you know,
1: Congresswoman Zaleeb and Senator Chang have been having this discussion around Stellantis for a number of years and, um, as they, they, their focus was really to be proactive to make sure that we didn't have to deal with these situations. Uh, and so now we are where we are today. And of course, with it being in district four and it impacting district four residents, I wanted to jump in to be supportive of the residents, recognizing that we have industry of budding residential so closely and making sure that we prioritize our residents in the entire situation. So, you know, the residents have been extremely vocal and I wanted to step up and help to be supportive of their voice and dealing with the challenge that they're dealing with. Of course, Eagle stepped in and started to provide odor violations, but we need to see more done. We need to see more done by the corporation and being a good steward, um, recognizing that they are abutting residential so closely, right? because when we look at development projects, we need to make sure that these things are taken care of before the development project actually happens. And so I've, I've been able to be on council calls, making sure that we're thinking about those things and we're addressing them before it actually happens, So, you know, the train center, uh, the transit center situation that was just recently voted on by council, just putting that at the forefront of our minds so that we're less reactionary, but that we are being proactive and in, in making sure that these companies that come into our residential communities are um, working well with our residents and making sure that we're not running our residents out, but that we can live in this environment together and making sure that it's a clean and safe environment. I've just been really dismayed by the fact that we have residents who can show you the crud on the exterior of their homes and Stellantis has been moving at a snail's pace to address the issue, right? Even if Eagle does not provide a violation, Stellantis recognizes what's happening within the vicinity of their plant. So let's address it and not even have to deal with the violations, right? So that's where we need to be. Um, And and I think, you know, collectively, that's
0: where we can push for corporations to be when they come into our communities. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of things come to mind. One of them is zoning. And I know that zoning is going to be the, um, Zone Detroit is working on changing zoning classifications. And one of the things I've been pushing for is the buffers between industrial Mm -hmm. operations and residential communities. Um, I remember when the mayor um, first announced this project and he was bragging, he said, nobody's going to have to move. And, you know, I don't know if that's the bragging point, right? If you're going to expand someplace, people should at least be given the option for relocation. Mm -hmm. But there was no relocation funding set aside. We spent all kinds of money you know, with all kinds of acquisition and transfers of land. In fact, what is it? Crown Enterprises opened up that horrible trucking center right on Jefferson. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. I have seen it. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I live in the impact area. Maybe it didn't trigger. It wasn't big enough. I'm pretty sure ECN is in the impact area. No notice of what was happening there. I was so curious and I figured it might be something nice. And instead, it is a trucking center, which is a bunch of concrete next to a water treatment plant right that is already overwhelmed and so mm-hmm. now you've got this trucking center which means more trucks but you've closed down St Jean and given that street away you've removed a buffer which is a natural buffer that existed um, and replaced that with a wall and it feels like i'm not anti F- stellantis fca making money but we're given these false you know choices do you want to make mm-hmm. money and have jobs or do you mm-hmm. care about the environment? And I'm like, why can't we have both? Exactly. Exactly. And we can you And, know and
1: we can So, So part of it is, um, you know, I really want to be on the Planning and Economic Development Committee because we need to know, because I didn't know what Crown Enterprise was for a long time. Numbers of people were reaching out to me, asking me, "What's what's being developed here? I had no clue. Right. But somebody did. Right. And so why why that wasn't brought forth to the community for the community to know what it was, to understand the environmental impacts.
0: That is what I've expressed. We need to change. And to decide the design of it needs to be different. Right. Puts nobody wants to see those trucks with the open right. base backed up. You know, it's, it's a horrible, unattractive thing. Um, where's the water stormwater management? How is that being done in that plant? How are they investing in the community? I mean, you know, there's design standards, you couldn't put that in gross mm-hmm. point, you mm-hmm. know, in gross in point right on Mac, you may be aware that they're putting um, their D- Department of Public Works new building there. And people were complaining about it because they said it's going to be unsightly. But the reality is they have, you know, um, drawings and renderings that show how it's not going to impact the aesthetics of that street and how they fenced in with a brick wall, some of the trucks that they are holding there and efforts they're taking to protect against older intrusions. But mm-hmm. we have this plan and we need to have the same level of due diligence, community input, community agreements so that when you are designing something, the community feels good about what you're doing. Right. And that doesn't happen. Decisions get made in the back room and we live with the decisions. And then we're told, hey, this is a, a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, even with the oldest that are coming out, the odors that are being produced in that plant are not odors. The, the, um, organic compounds that are being released and threatening the health of people who live nearby. And I want to be clear. It is not just Beneteau. Mm-hmm. The entire mm-hmm. impact area is impacted. That air does not just stand on one street. It is worse, perhaps on Beneteau, but right. it's bad on Lily bridge <laughs> and mm-hmm. you cross on the other side of Connor is bad over here too. And, you know, our organization, you know, this, our parking lot faces that plant. Right. So we see it and we experience it too. Um, so we have to look at the oldest, but the question, the thing that's interesting to me is that it's not the manufacturing of those cars It's not putting together the hoods and putting in the engines. None of that. It's the paint. hmm The toxic paint that Solantis continues to use to coat cars. And I researched it because I was like, can't they come up with non-toxic paints? Come on. I Mm -hmm. mean, you can give your kids Mm -hmm. non-toxic paint. You see it all of the time. Is there a non-toxic paint that can be put on cars? And I learned that there is. And it just makes me wonder, why is it that we're willing to sacrifice people's health for a shinier paint coat? You know, you know,
1: I think what, what, what makes it even worse is knowing that the emissions were reduced at another plant for them to be able to allow for the, level of, the levels of emissions that are coming from this particular plant, that to me really says how you feel, what you think about the community. And whether or not you really care about the people, not only the people living
0: in that area, but how about the folks that work there? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, 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 but, but, you know, corporations are corporations. Our government is our government. Our elected officials are elected officials. I don't expect a corporation to act in my best interest, right? I expect government to have policies and regulations in place that will require them to act in my best interest. You know, sure. the, the when you look at how corporations define success, it's always going to be the bottom line. It's always going to be, how can I sell this car? My car will be less competitive, perhaps if I use water-based paint as opposed to mm-hmm. these oil-based toxic paints. Mm-hmm. So I've got to do it because the competition is doing it. But if government says, you know what, we're not going to allow you to manufacture cars in this way because it's endangering the health and safety of people. And if our government actually okay. spent time educating people, perhaps we can mm-hmm. see some changes. And our government, they may want, FCA may not care about that gun, but the government could say, you know what, during the negotiations, could have said, you know what, people have to move, you have to relocate people who want to move. There's no requirement that your house, because the value of the house is just completely plummeted. Whatever value you had when you had that berm behind it is reduced now that you have this wall, right? Because the Mm -hmm. berm was a completely different thing um, than the wall. So you have somebody's property values being reduced. They may be, and it's probably more than 15,000. There's no capacity for property values to increase unless more is done to create a buffer between those homes. Does the government care about the property values, the life, the, the, the health and welfare, the you know, quality of life of the people who are living there? Because people who live on Benito, Lily Bridge, and all those other streets are electing our government. Right. And it just feels Uh like, you know, I want to see our city do more. And it felt like not only did the city do everything to accommodate Stellantis, shorten Mm -hmm. a timeline for public input and make very few demands on behalf of the people and give Mm -hmm. this volunteer neighborhood advisory council a very short period of time to evaluate and agree to things because they say, hey, if you don't do this, you're risking jobs and whatever. The government didn't really advocate for us.
1: Yeah, and we we really have to push. Even now that it's there, mm-hmm. we still have the ability to go back and push, right? Oh. Because the city of Detroit has a relationship with Stellantis. This isn't a one-time deal. Mm-hmm. We have Jefferson North, we have the Mac engine plant, And who knows, there are probably other projects that they are working on and talking about. There are still opportunities there, but you're right. Government has to show that it cares about the people. There has been some rhetoric about property values increasing in that area as a result of the (laughs) plan. Exactly, it's it's laughable. It's especially laughable when you think about how um, we had the housing market decline as a result of the financial institutions and the market and how many Detroiters lost their homes because of balloon payments, because we were sold that then, that our property values had increased and we can pull equity out of our homes. And then that blew up on us. So to expect that somebody is now going to look at that as a positive, as a result of having these negative impacts to my environment yeah it's it's laughable it's it's horrible government, and I think it says that okay we're really not thinking about the people that we're more focused on bringing corporations into our city, right we need to have both, but I tend to say I, I continue to say that when businesses locate in our communities, they're coming into our communities for a reason, right? There's something on their behalf that is extremely beneficial, whether it is you get the land inexpensively, you're looking to have the people around you patronize your business or whatever it is. There are positive benefits that these businesses bring or see when they come to move into our communities but we don't look at it in totality
0: and say, "How do we work together so that we benefit one another?" Instead, we, we're we, going we, to start doing that. Thank you, because we they act, we act like they're doing us a favor by coming here. Well, they could go correct. to correct someone Correct. We have infrastructure here that does not exist. We have transportation here, access to freeways, and 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 we have people here. We have a workforce in this mm-hmm. four point eight million person metro area that people can you can draw on for this plant and then all of the financial incentives you don't just get right this county you can, they we gave land away it wasn't right. cheap to buy we just gave it to them well here you, you want this here we'll figure mm-hmm. out how to assemble this land and some of the land that we assembled especially from crown enterprises we're not done paying for mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. in the agreement around that land There's a trigger, I don't don't remember how many years from now, where maybe another $80,000 is going to be due to to, or Crown Enterprises at some point in time. And I can't remember what the trigger is, um, but we're not done paying, perhaps. We gave them land, we gave them tax breaks. We demolished those berms at our expense. We closed off a city street at our yeah. expense so when you act like they're doing it for you um, that's the problem right now with this right. new government where the businesses needs become the priority of government mm-hmm. people's mm-hmm. needs are no longer the priority of our government you see that um, you see that happening here so and, and I
1: hope I hope to see that change with this new council coming into place. yeah um, and you know I'm I'm having conversations with them and I know a lot of times, you know, you you'll hear people talk about where their priorities are, and a lot of times people can say it, and the way it it plays out is completely different. But I'm really hopeful that we have a, a new group of people with great ideas um, that are really focused on the needs of the people and making sure that we provide um, for the people, and that when we bring the this industry in, when we bring businesses here, it is. Beneficial not only to the business but also to the community and to the residents within that community. So I think
0: I think we'll start to see a shift. I really do. I'm I'm certain that you'll start to see a shift. And part of it is also the Office of Civil Rights, right? Because you still have to monitor and enforce compliance with all of the agreements that inc- are included in the Community Benefits um, Agreement. And my understanding, and having looked at Facebook, you know, the news, um, Shannon Smith. Um, who is on the board, I think he's chairing the Office of Civil Rights, if I'm not mistaken, um, does not feel as though he's getting information he is looking for from that office. Mm -hmm. I know there are members of the NAC who are not getting information that they are looking for from that office. And so it might be interesting to see if city council can perhaps get information from that Mm -hmm. office to see how well they are delivering even on what they said they were going to do. Um, because there are a number of promises and it's you know, it's important that we monitor how those promises are being carried out and whether things change over time. But I don't want to spend the entire time talking about Salantis. It's emotional for me because I live mm-hmm. and work in a community that has been environmentally impacted. And when we talk about the environment, we're not talking about the sky and we're not talking about the ground. We are talking about the health of people who live in this community. Right. And we're not talking about, oh, you know, this is just you know, some, you know, ridiculous thing, there's a zip code where you live determines how long you live mm-hmm. in America mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. If you live in Gross Point Park on one side of Altar, your life expectancy is 81 to 83 years. Just on the other side of Altar, your life expectancy is anywhere from 66 to 80 years. Wow. I mean, sorry, it's 66 to 72 years. We don't make it up to 80. Now, I expect to be uh, you know, an outlier, but the reality is that perhaps I won't be. That's where you start mm-hmm. talking about cancers. That's where you start talking about um, other types of diseases. And when COVID-19 hits, that's when you talk about having pre-existing vulnerabilities because you already have some things. And so when I look at the life expectancies of people who live around the plant, they are not high enough. And we know environmental justice will tell us that that's because we are more likely to live in places where there are heavy pollutants that we are not conscious of because you can't taste or see them all of the time. I mean, you can smell some of them, but the the ones I cannot smell are the ones that scare me more. If I'm smelling something, I'm going to have some avoidance behavior. If I'm not smelling it, I won't. And so I think it's important also at the city council level, I'm hoping that we can do more to help People understand what the real environment is. The environment is not, you know, Just the, immediate
2: trees. It is
0: the, the environment is us. It is life. It mm-hmm. is a quality of life. It is not something for tree huggers. Mm-hmm. It is for people who care about people, for us to care about in our community and to prioritize that anybody who comes in has to look at it. And when you look in places like 4217, where you have this tremendous clustering, yeah of industry. You can really see it there, but we also have it here somewhat. And we can go on about it. We could talk about the fact that there's no buffers by our freeways. We can talk about the fact that when you live close to a street like Jefferson, that impacts your health because there's so much diesel fuel and other fuel that is being emitted in the air, some of it containing lead. Um, And then we can also look at home demolitions, but I'm excited to have a city council person who knows this stuff and i'm hoping we will perhaps have an environmental task force i know that was proposed and we were told no there's a green task force right but the green task force didn't show up at these community benefits hearings and say let's stand on behalf we need more do you think that's going to happen this time an environmental task force
1: it very well may um I've I've been having several conversations about, you know, different industry that is coming into the city. Uh, just had a conversation a short while ago today about another company that's moving into a Westside community and Mm -hmm. looking at the environmental impacts of of that particular business. Uh, So it's happening more and more throughout the city of Detroit. And so is definitely um, something that we need to look into. And so, you know, I'll start to have those conversations with my colleagues or soon-to-be colleagues and uh, make sure that we do. Yeah, that's
0: wonderful. So you're our council person, right? District 4. Yes. But there mm-hmm. are nine council nine council people, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And some of them represent districts, but all of you represent the city, right? That's right. So, even if a council person is representing or coming from a different community and addressing that, a different community and paying a spe- special focus, we're not talking about, they don't have to just ignore what's happening in our side of town. Right? Right. See, it feels like city council has been functioning in a very fragmented way where people really mind their own backyards. And then you have two city council people who are responsible for looking at the city as a whole. And then every once in a while there are these issues, but, you know, there was a time when city council really acted as a check on mayoral power, whoever the mayor was understanding Mm -hmm. we have a strong mayor form of government. There was this check on mayoral power when city council people could come together around issues and ideals and set standards for the city as a whole. And it feels like that's been lost a little bit. Do you agree with that?
1: I, I have witnessed that. Absolutely. Um, Now, I I personally think that the district system is something that gives our district council members more accountability. It gives residents the ability to hold somebody accountable and to make sure that we know specifically what's happening within our district. That to me does not take away the fact that we are also voting for um, different initiatives that are happening citywide. Right. But now I may have had a unique experience by being on the board of zoning appeals and recognizing that, recognizing that, you know, we deal with issues that happen throughout the entire city. While I might be have a more intimate relationship with people in District four, I represent everyone within the city of Detroit. And so I make sure that, you know, we share with people that just because District four residents voted me in that anyone within the city can reach out to the office, can reach out and, and share their views and opinions about anything that city council has before them and that we are addressing. So I want people to, to know that even though, you know they may not have voted for me, they can still reach out and they should reach out to all of the council members when there are things that they are passionate about that they want to um, share their opinion about. Yeah, we're not I'm I'm certainly not closed-minded. I recognize that, you know, we just like the transit center situation. I don't live in District 2, but I jumped on the call to share my opinions and thoughts about the the environmental impact that that particular transit center may have on that surrounding community and just making sure that City Council takes that into consideration before they decide
0: to vote. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the important thing is you do have the local accountability, but you have a citywide accountability. Absolutely. And it feels like that balance has been lost a little bit, you know, and. I, I, I think that um, moving forward
1: because there are so many of us who um, have had similar experiences and we're all, um, we have different things that we want to address. But I think one of the things that we have talked about doing is, is figuring out where we align. Are there um, different areas where we can come together and say, let's create a legislative agenda that we all support, right? These are things that we know we will all support. So there is no dividing us so that you know we, we cannot provide that check and balance. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also important to make sure that individually we recognize that we are greater as a whole that we are one body, that yeah. there are nine of us, but we're essentially one entity to provide that check and balance. Yeah. That is what's most important to make sure that we go together, y- unify, and to act in the role that we are we are put into at this moment and making sure that um, we can in fact provide that check and balance.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to be honest with you, I was really excited most excited of course about your, um, your election but um at the the uh, turn some of the turnover to be honest with you i was excited to see new faces at the table and i believe more progressive voices and just this optimism that we're going to have a different conversation coming out of city council and this city council will behave more cohesively to act on our shared interest as a community, because even though we're you know we're 139 square miles, but we have the same issues: flooding all over the city, right? All over the city, poverty all over the city, homelessness all over the city. We're dealing mm-hmm. with a lot of shared issues, and you really can't break them up into districts and do justice to those issues. You can't take them all on either. But um you know, there are a few things that have been on the table. One that kind of it's kind of moved in, in an interesting direction. I know that City Council was looking at at the corporation council and um, having the corporation council um, making a difference, um, make, stop stop working with one law firm. I know that the inspector general um, complained to the state bar association about the, um, the behavior of the um, corporation council oh in terms of, you know, sort of acting as the mayor's uh, attorney. Kind of like, you know, what you saw Bill Barr do with Donald Trump in some ways. Right. It's like you are the attorney for the city of Detroit
2: mm-hmm.
0: and acting on behalf of the citizens of Detroit, mm-hmm. not the attorney for the mayor. Right. So. I was like, Ugh. Um, and I've been really frustrated because of just the demeanor and some of the ways that I've seen the corporation council, who's um, thankfully leaving, has behaved with respect to the community. Um, it hasn't always been felt very respectful, but you have somebody new that you're going to have to, um, you know, approve in the new year. What are some standards that you see yourself having for an incoming corporation council? How do you stop that from happening again?
1: That that's a great question. So I was (laughs) having that conversation a, a short while ago and, um, recognizing that we have to really do our due diligence in understanding who this individual is that is going to be presented to us. Right. And, and doing some digging and doing some research because the only way for that person to be removed is by two thirds of city council and the mayor. Mm -hmm. So to avoid getting to that point, we need to make sure we know who the person is that we're supporting, right? Um, but I think it's important for, you know, you just said it, that they provide legal support to the city, to city council, to the mayor, to everybody. It's not just, okay, you're you're here representing the voice of the administration, okay. but that you're representing and and serving city council and the residents. So I saw some things that I was really displeased with um, from the outgoing uh, director. And um, we'll, we'll just, you know, I think it's important to do our due diligence to look at their track record, to look at their history and to make sure that this person has um, worked in a way that we know where
0: they won't show bias for anyone in particular. So somebody pointed out. Um, one of my journalist friends pointed out that um, there's kind of this revolving door where somebody leaves the incorporation council and they end up at a law firm that gets contracted by the city to do work. Does city council control have to approve these contracts?
1: Yes, absolutely. City uh-huh. council does. Um, and so, right, I part of part of my conversation uh, a couple days ago was really about. How you ensure that based on the charter, the charter says that you know you cannot go into private practice or for a year um, within your uh, termination from the city, right with a an organization that has done work with the city, that is difficult to manage. But if we look at it from the standpoint of making sure that um, contracts that come from the city and individuals who have gone to work for those those organizations that maybe we look at those a little differently. Uh, I think that may stop that revolving door. Yeah. Because we we've seen it time and time again, not just with this corporation council, but with previous.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good way to get a good gig, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody knows now you have you have juice. And because, you know, the people and so you exactly. can use your juice to accomplish things. Exactly. And the reality is that, you know, really what I'm most concerned about is the principle of democracy. And that is that, you know, one man, one vote, that you don't have these fiefdoms and you don't have this hoarding of power by any unit of government. So right. it's not about the mayor. It's not about who's mayor. It's not about who's in city council. It's really about just saying this is the organizational chart that exists and this is what democracy is, looks like. In the textbook let's try to bring it back to a textbook you know um, definition because you also have all of these authorities you have appointees um, of the mayor who serve on boards of authorities that the mayor cannot oversee But if the mayor can't oversee that authority and his appointees chair that authority, isn't that the same thing? (laughs) And when I look at the organizational chart for the city, what I see is dotted lines between city departments and these authorities that are supposed to operate independently. Is there a way the city council can help restore that kind of democracy? And if not, you know, like. During the whole FCA process. You had all of these different bodies that things had to go through um, in order to get to a decision. You know, it was not just, you had the Brownfield Development Authority making decisions that went to DEGC, as well as that went to city council. And all of these authorities, if they are too connected to the mayor's office, Mm -hmm. become, they're quasi-public, but they're controlled. They're not supposed to be controlled. Do you have thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we, we talked about proposal P, right? Um, and, and that proposal P was really looking at dealing with a lot of this, mm-hmm. um, b- because we have had a strong mayoral system in the city of Detroit, where um, we've given a lot of power to that position. So there, there are some things that city council may be able to do. Some things are out of our control. Um, there have been some limited discussions about some of the things that we might be able to do, some things that may not be working uh, in the best interest of the residents uh, in the city of Detroit. And, um, you know, they, they've just been conversations thus far, but they could lead to, you know, some some
0: changes. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll just kind of leave it there without sharing too much. That's okay, I don't want you to share too much. You know, I know that one of the interesting things that's gonna happen in January is we're going to have council leadership. And I've heard um, from little birdies that you are being considered for a possible leadership post. And um, so I I, I sang back and I was really happy to hear that that may happen. Um, So I I just want to leave it there and just say that I'm really happy to have you represent us in this role and um, to really bring some of the just extensive experience you have working in government on you know some of these boards and also working in the community to bear so that you can we can you know help accelerate change you knowing that you also have a great chief of staff to guide you so well, thank you
1: thank you I appreciate that um you know that whole the whole conversation about leadership is very interesting to me I'm not really sure how things are going to work out um but you know
0: it will, we'll see in our first session in January. We will. And so I'm just saying, you know, of course, you, you're you going to be a great city council person anyway, but there Thank are some you. of us who would love to see you also be in a leadership position at city council because those roles really do make a difference in helping to set the city council agenda.
1: Well, um, I appreciate that.
0: Thank you. One more question, and that is how are you going to stay connected to us? You have been such a resource. You're the kind of person you're at all of the meetings. Are we going to still see you be connected to you in neighborhoods?
1: Absolutely. You you all can't get rid of me that quickly, <laughs> that easily. Uh you know, it's it's a, it's a two-way street for me. You know, I'd love to be there to listen, to hear what's going on throughout the community. Um we're looking at some creative ways to make sure that we stay at the forefront Um, of being connected with our community and especially in parts of district four where they feel underrepresented. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, there are some council members who are now outgoing, who have done some very creative things to stay connected with the community. And so we're looking at implementing some of those things, um, making sure that we are in the community and not necessarily asking the community to come to us. Um, But, you know, as I said, as I, shared with everyone during the campaign season that it's once the election took place that i will need you all more than uh you probably believe you need me so i will definitely stay connected and look forward to helping to execute a lot of the work with the community
0: all right so well, that, that's going to be great. And um, you know, of course you have our support and we will, you know, be there in whatever way necessary. You know, it's important for people to know what the agendas are. When should you show up at a meeting? What's on the, what's on the table today? Absolutely. Um, so that we know when to be present. Um, well, thank so it's you. <laughs> Well, it's time for our next segment, Hot Takes, where we run down some of the week's top hot topics, top, um, top, 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 topics in Detroit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Topic number one, the Oxford High School School shooting. Tragic incident happened today, and um, we continue to have gun crime all across America. We continue to have gun crime in Detroit, although not necessarily in our schools as of late. What are your thoughts on what we can do, what you can do in city council? What needs to happen to address gun crime in America?
1: So I um, just briefly heard about the situation in Oxford um, as I was leaving a meeting. Uh, and so we know, you know, being a, a native Detroiter, that gun crimes and, and gun violence is just horribly traumatic. You know, I cringe every time I watch the news and I see especially when something happens in District 4 and and I internalize everything and I'm saying, okay, what can we do? How do we connect with people who are um, victims of the crimes and people who are perpetrators? How do we get them to come into and have a conversation with us? So one of the things that I will do very quickly in December is to reach out to Um, the organizations that are already on the ground, that are connected with these individuals. Um, I started having conversations with them during the campaign. And so it's time to go back and revisit, understand the types of resources and support that people need, um, because they are there in, in the middle of it, in the thick of it, having these conversations. They're connected with individuals who feel as though this is the life they have to live. Um, but I just want them to, to know and everybody to know that I'm here. I'm here to be a resource. I just need to know what it is that I can do to help impact positively the situations that we're all dealing with, that we're
0: all facing. Well, yeah. So, um, topic number two Omnicrime strain of COVID 19 and the fourth surge. This one, you know, and I, I talk about it and it's really, really devastating to, I think, all of us to know that we're in this fourth surge and also that there could be another variant that would um, be even more contagious than Delta, which seems almost impossible. What are your thoughts about what, how we're how are we dealing with COVID-19 in our community?
1: I don't think we're doing a great job. And, you know, I think we all should look at look inward and, and figure out what it is that we can do Um, because I'm sure we all have people within our families who have decided for one reason or another not to get vaccinated. Um, I have had conversations with uh, the individuals who I'm interviewing who may be a part of my staff and saying that, listen, if you say that you care for the community, then one of the things that you will do Um, that you should do without me even asking is to go out and get vaccinated because that's the reason that we're seeing our rates continue to go up. And, you know, it saddens me to continue seeing on social media that people are losing their lives as a result of not getting vaccinated. So I think there's something that we all um, should do and and that's have those difficult conversations with friends and family members who are more likely to listen to us um, and appeal to uh, them because I think people still don't realize that there are individuals who cannot get vaccinated because of health reasons, and so it's important that we protect them.
0: Because they're also, we can. They're also you know, young children mm-hmm. who cannot get vaccinated, and there are people who have who are immunocompromised who are mm-hmm. vaccinated but still at risk of catching the right. virus because whatever. Um, and you know, beyond just the spread of the disease when my mother was hospitalized, I saw firsthand, and this was at the beginning of October, um, what's happening in our hospitals. It was three days before she was moved out of emergency and mm. into the hospital bed. Our hospitals are jammed packed. The De- receiving down. hospital where she was taken is now a hundred percent full. Mm. So, you know, prior to COVID people were going to the hospital for heart attacks and strokes and because yeah. of broken limbs and, um, you know, people were going to the doctor and getting mammograms and finding out that they had, you know, tumors. And so hospitals were there and available to treat these diseases, these chronic diseases and acute conditions that, that develop. And we have few, we have lesser access to service. We have fewer people working in health care, mm-hmm. entering health care, and then you have fewer beds. And it feels like, you know, I I get what the city's doing, but it feels like we need to, instead of just talking at people, have community educations where we explain things to people. And I'm not sure we do a good job of explaining things. I've heard people say, well, I'm going to trust my immune system. not understanding that the vaccine helps spur the immune system. There's just a lot of misinformation out there. A lot of misunderstanding out there and quite frankly, a lot of brainwashing that's gone on. Right, and, and
1: quite honestly, I think that has gone on for too long before um, the scientists come in and say, okay, here's the real deal. Like, let's stop having the discussion about the Tuskegee experiment. Um, let's look at, right, how many vaccines we've gotten since we were children because we were being protected and shielded from all of these uh, diseases. So it's quite honestly, I feel like it's an excuse that people are using and they're okay with that until something happens to someone very close to them. That's
0: the saddest thing to me is that we can prevent this and we're choosing not to. I know people who've lost family members, close family members and still, won't get vaccinated. Mm. So. I lost
1: someone very near and dear to me who was like a second mother, and unfortunately, she transitioned right before the vaccines came out. Mm. Uh, and so, for me to see people just make the decision to not get vaccinated as though they're they're iron men and iron women, I I just I cringe. And you know, I've shared with with you all before that I have a compromised immune system, and so. I take it very personally, and have done everything that I absolutely can to make sure that I'm vaccinated. I've gotten the booster, and and so has my husband. Uh, so it's it's very important. Um, you know, I've appealed to family members to make sure that they do it as well, and I'm glad to see that they have. Um, but and and you know, I've always felt like the the person that's going to listen to you the most is the person that you love, a person who loves you. And so that's why I say that we need to appeal to our family and our closest friends who will listen, who will understand um, and and really take heed. Maybe you have to have that conversation more than one time, but I think it's worth it.
0: I agree. It's worth it. I'm not even sure that what you're saying is, I, I think, you know, we've got to deal with some of the information channels because, you know, people argue over Thanksgiving dinner meals all the time. That's the you know proverbial thing. Thanksgiving, you're going to fight over differences in politics and different beliefs. And, and this pandemic has become so politicized that people can just tune out people who they love and trust mm-hmm. because they believe they've heard things that are more true than the things that you know, their loved ones are killing them. Yeah. Um, and so um, I, I hope it doesn't take, you know, more dramatic losses in our community. Um, I think that, again, there needs to be community conversations. We need to start now. And we're going to be doing some focus groups in the next couple of weeks to try to get information from people to really tease out what is it that stands mm-hmm. between you and getting mm-hmm. vaccinated? Because it's getting harder and harder for me to understand um, it's almost like a political divide. And you can mm-hmm. say, okay, Donald Trump won the election. It's really obvious he didn't. And there's people who say, no, he didn't, he didn't win. Joe Biden is, is president. It's really obvious he didn't. And it, you, facts don't necessarily sway the people who believe mm-hmm. Donald Trump is president. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know um, how we're going to do it, but I think that we have to keep trying. And we have to try different things. And part of it is, I think now, just maybe even going on listening tours and trying to understand and embrace what people are saying to us so we know how to respond.
1: Right, right. Absolutely. I think we've, we've become a culture that believes any narrative that is presented to us, unfortunately. And as you said, you know, facts don't necessarily matter. But I think people really have to do their own research and, uh, and understand when those narratives are false.
0: And, and I guess my thing is don't do your own research, right? Because I hear Nicki Minaj said she did her own research. It's like, you don't even know where to research, okay? What is research, okay? You have to got, follow what trusted people are saying, you know? It's not like, some, you know, medical professionals are all united around the world around this one narrative. And so for you to do your own research and believe based on your Google searches that you know more than the entire universe of medical professionals, that they're all in some great big conspiracy is problematic. You know, if you had heart disease, certainly you would try to look things up, right? But You're not going to li- necessarily listen to everybody to treat your heart disease when you Correct. have cancer you're usually going to listen to the oncologist, right? When you get COVID, not when you are trying to prevent it, but when you get COVID, you know, who you're not talking to, are you doing your own research? Are you going to these hospitals and taking up space and demanding treatments inside of that space? Because you, you realize that your research has reached its limits. Um, so I'm not trying to be preachy. And I know I'm not the person to have these listening tours because I have no patience with people mm-hmm. who um, who seem to, you know, resist facts. But somebody with a different temperament than me needs to do that. <laughs> you know, um, I just become so upset that, mm-hmm. you know, if it, that's not constructive, right? I know it's not constructive, but... That's me understandable, I'll yeah. start telling you off, and you know, it's like, okay, Don, I don't think that's what you mean to do because you know, when you've lost people that you care about, right? When you've seen people fighting for their lives who didn't have to, especially mm-hmm. when they're vulnerable people, it mm-hmm. feels very personal when somebody says, Oh, right. I don't need to do that. So, anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're, um, I guess at the end of our segment, I do want to thank you for coming today. Um, I am. You know, always appreciative. You're one of the most accessible people I know. You're always there just, you know, for the community. Um, you don't put a big wall between yourself. And um, so I'm really excited that you came here today to share some of your thinking with us and that we're going to be able to work with you in the future to make sure that our community feels heard at the of council course. table. Of and course. I know um, you can't make every decision that we wanna see made because you have the responsibility of leadership and sometimes you'll be dealing with different information and different types of agreements. But it's wonderful to know that decisions will be made in good faith. It is devastating to see four city council people either investigated, Hmm. convicted for um, financial crimes that really compromise the independence of city council. So either real or perceived loss of independence has existed and it's devastating for the community. So I'm really happy to see you there. Um, do you have anybody that you would like to shout out? We usually close the show by shouting folks out. Um, it's our way of um, just you know, celebrating the people that we care about.
1: Sure, sure. So I would love to give a shout out to first and foremost, my chief of staff uh gary gray you know we talked about him but i he he's phenomenal hands down i'm so ecstatic that he decided to come out of retirement to support the campaign and also to support pulling the office together um i know we are going to make a phenomenal team and i think people within the community will uh see that very quickly and will appreciate him just as well um i also want to give a shout out to my entire team because they were all volunteers uh, and so they really showed who they are and where their passion and commitment is to the community so natalia henderson um, cynthia mcclure um, Andrew, andrew ianacone susan rutherford mark rutherford um Jerrell mills uh, lawan council Um, We all came together and really put our best foot forward in Sharon Gray. I can't forget to mention Sharon Gray because her husband Gary Gray brought her in and (laughs) she just hit the ground running. They're just a phenomenal uh, couple. uh, And I was just so appreciative to have their support. And, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't just say Thank you to all of the District four residents, not only those who supported me, but for those who did not, because I'm going to pull you all in too, and we are going to do some great things throughout the district. I really believe that in my heart, but it's gonna take all of us to come together to make it happen.
0: All right. I would like to shout out um, the executive team at ECN, um, Nicole Perry, who has been dealing with so many issues, trying to get our building together. And um, she's our chief administrative officer. Um, she was promoted to that position. We did. I did a couple of promotions recently, so I do want to shout out my um, executive team. Angela Brown-Wilson is now our chief operating officer. Um, Holly Binford is our chief financial officer. And um, Nicole Perry is our chief administrative officer. And collectively, we comprise, all the C's comprise a... Um, An executive team at ECN. So it's a different way for me of leading the organization, one that um, really feels strong and secure for me, um, knowing that I have really strong people to lean on and provide leadership. But um, Nicole has been leading us through so many crisis situations, and now we have a boiler out. And um, so... You know, she's just been, um, you know, a person who was just always there doing good things. And I expect her to be able to get the boiler in place soon so that we can reopen our building to the community because it feels kind of odd to have closed down again. We were going to be shut down, but now we are completely, um, you know, closed until we get heat. Um, I'd like to shout out all of the new council elect. Um, I know that we have one race which is being recounted tomorrow, I believe started today started today oh wow so we'll know when when will we know who the um, winner is we should know by the end of this week okay all right so um i believe there were five women who won and one man and there's one race where it's not clear correct correct um so there are four new women coming in right um, yep and and two men Oh, that's right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Right. Well, possibly two men. One man for yes, sure. Correct. correct. <laughs> um, so Mary Waters, you, Angela Calloway, um, yeah, Gabriella. Gabriella And then we're just trying to see whether Fred Durhall actually wins because there's a 28 vote difference between him and the, um, the person Ross. Ross. Yeah. So shout out to the city, our city, new city council members. Um, I know that you all are going to be awesome leaders. Um, And then finally, shout out to all of our healthcare workers who are doing the job. And um, I know it's been difficult. And during this surge, it's getting more difficult. So I really do want to thank people for living lives where they're contributing to the health of other people, Mm -hmm. even when people are resisting medical advice. Right. All right. That's important. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Catch the wave.